Essential Things Studios is the Peer-to-Peer Lending Essentials Podcast. Welcome to the Financial Thing Investment Essentials Podcast. I am your host, as always, Lawrence Samuels. And this podcast is designed to keep you updated to the latest happenings in the peer-to-peer investment and crowdfunding world. I'm very excited today, as I always am, to have a special guest on the podcast. Today we have John Goodall. He is the front man over at Land Bay, which is a peer-to-peer company that I personally invest my own money in. I'm a big believer in Land Bay. Been using them for a while. Love what they do. And I wanted to get John on here to kind of answer some questions about what Land Bay does and his thoughts on the peer-to-peer lending world in general. John, how are you doing today? Thank you for joining us. Pleasure. Good to uh, good to be on the uh, podcast, Lawrence. Thank you very much. We very much. I appreciate your time. Can you give me a little background on what you did before you actually uh, started Lambay? Yeah, my, my my background is uh, somewhat unusual. Uh, I, I guess um, I uh, I was a headhunter, recruiter, and, and I set up a headhunting business uh, in the city of London. Um, and I then uh, sort of sold that business and sold my stake in that business just before the financial crisis. Uh, so this was January 2007, uh, and you know that the, we we work predominantly for for banks. Um, I then actually I, I read economics uh, at university, and I then actually taught economics for three years. Um, and, and as it happened, and obviously uh, I didn't plan this, but that was during the financial crisis. Um, you know, and, and obviously in the UK, uh, obviously banks like Northern Rock and and, and RBS were having uh, serious problems. And so, and obviously on, in the US, Lehman. And so it was a very, very interesting time to uh, teach economics. Um, and at that point, I then, I then went after that, I, I then went and, and, and did, a, did a further degree and an MBA. Um, and I had always been interested in peer-to-peer lending and I'd been a sort of early investor on Zopa uh, and then latterly fund a funding circle when it, when it launched. And actually it was while I was doing my MBA, I looked up sort of peer-to-peer lending models, uh, et cetera. And I subsequently found my, or met and was introduced to my co-founder, Gray Stern, who'd, who'd come over here, uh, come over to London, that is, relatively recently from Australia, uh, where he'd worked in real estate finance. And again, he had, he had been sort of looking at the same sort of thing in terms of peer-to-peer business models. Uh, and we started uh, we started talking, uh, and this is now sort of 2000, summer 2013. Uh, and then, you know, we that, that was the sort of beginning of, of Lambo. Uh, so 2013 was was sort of the the time that Lambay became established. Now, was it a difficult company to to bring to market? Yeah, I, th- I think it was. I mean, and and we brought it to market in tw- in 2014. Um, and, and the reason is, you know, most people in the UK, and again, you know, peer to peer lending has changed a little bit over the last few years. Because obviously in the UK, institutional investors have become, have increasingly looked at the space. Um, but obviously in 2013, 2014, peer-to-peer was very much a, a retail investment uh, proposition. And we, you know, the area that we focused on uh, is, is a relatively low risk and low yielding and long-term asset class. Uh, you know, this is, these are residential mortgages on uh, investment properties or buy-to-let properties or rental properties, depending on where you're from, what, what you call them. Um, and so therefore, we, 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 you know, we were going to market with a, a relatively low rate compared for investors relative to, to, to some of the others, but with kind of expected losses of 
you know, very, very low. I mean, and we haven't had a late, late payment. But not being able to put a big kind of 7% or 8% or 10% on your website uh, and saying that this is low risk uh, is, is a tough thing to do. I mean, people are always first and foremost uh, attract the rate. So, uh, you know, it, it, it took us a bit of, certainly a bit of time to to get traction because, you know, the, like any peer-to-peer lender, you're, the first thing you've got to do is build trust, in my view. Uh, yeah. and you can't do that quickly. That, that takes a number of years. Yeah, absolutely. That, that's got to be a difficult thing too. It's the number one thing that people always ask me is, uh, you know, h- how do I trust the people that I'm giving my money to? I don't know these people and what's going to happen, but it takes time, right, to build that trust. Yeah, exactly. And, and you're right, you're right. You know, we are asking people to go online, um, you know, and, 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 you know, put in their card details or whatever uh, and give us some money based on what they read on a website. And, and I've always thought about this to where, um, you know, hundreds of years ago, the grandest buildings in, in most towns, if, other than probably the churches, were the banks. And, you know, they had sort of, you know, marble floors and chandeliers. It's certainly in the UK. Um, a lot of them are pubs now. But, you know, they had grand buildings, high ceilings, lots of marble, lots of gold, lots of chandeliers. And the whole purpose of that was in those days, that was before um, banking protection um, and, and the FSCS. And, you know, they, were, they weren't they were stable. Uh, and, and, and that whole, um, you know, chandeliers and marble floors were there to try and build trust that they were, were solid and stable. And I guess peer-to-peer lenders have to sort of do that same thing online, really. Yeah, that, that's not an easy thing to do virtually either because all you can do is provide your information and then people can look further into you and try to find out what they can, but much harder to do online than through an office building. Do you um, let people come to your offices, like people who are lenders? Do they ever come to your office and take a look around? I'm trying to think. I mean, I don't, uh, I don't think we'd necessarily refuse them um, and I'm more, hopefully we, we probably couldn't uh, take in hundreds of people they suddenly want to come. But we, we've had certainly one or two of our larger larger uh, investors or lenders who've been lending, uh, you know, six figure numbers have have asked to come in and meet or, or whatever, and we have done. So I can think off the top of my head of two. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, there's others that, you know, obviously phone up uh, and they, they can speak to people um, here as well. But, yeah, we haven't had that request that often, actually. Is Lambay open to UK residents only, or do you offer people from other countries, like people can, from the US, can they invest in Lambay? Um, at the moment, you have to have a sort of UK bank account. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we, we don't want to... Mess around, mess around slightly with currencies and all that sort of thing. Went because at some point people are going to want to transfer. You assume at some people, at some time, people are going to want their money out. Uh, so having that UK bank account, a it just from a transactional point of view makes it a lot easier, um, and also from a money laundering KYC it makes it easier. So at the moment it is that you know you, you've got to have some footprint in the UK. Yeah, yeah, and you know those Americans, a lot of them are up to no good. So you, you have to. <laughs> No, just just joking, of course. One of the things I think lenders tend to overlook often is the experience of the directors behind the companies and the staff experience behind the companies. And they look so so much at the product quality and also the returns. And I, I think that's a big mistake. I think that having directors who are experienced and know what they're doing is is probably more important than the actual product itself because if they're unable to keep the company going, then at the end of the day, what good is it to have a loan product that's paying you 12%? Because if the company folds, 
there's so many unknowns behind how that would affect lenders. Do you think that's something that lenders often overlook and focus so much on the product and the uh, return rates? Uh, yeah, I think I think that is fair to say on the whole. Um, I think the other thing is not just the company going. I think you know it is also the credit, and um, we're in a relatively benign credit environment, and so people without sort of established and probably quite old-fashioned sort of credit um, professionals and lending professionals who have, have been through the sort of cycles. Um, I, I also think is very, very important because, you know, it's the famous Warren Buffett thing, isn't it? You, you don't quite know what people are wearing until the tide goes out or what, I can't remember the exact quote, but something along those lines. And I think it's the exact same as a credit. So I think having that experience there and, and a number of people have said that that fin is far more important than the tech in terms of fintech. Mm. Um, and, and you're right, again, in, in terms of, um, you know, the, the, the people that run it. And I think there's an element where people do look at it. I think certainly in the UK has been a case where, you know, if you look at the the platforms that attract the most most retail funds, um, I assume are the big three. And that's because they've been around longer. And so there's a combination of building trust, but also they've sort of built experience and they've proved that they can run a company, etc. So I think there's an... I think people look at the how new a company is, uh, and that, like you say, that doesn't necessarily mean you're looking at the management. But obviously, if if the management's been running a company for three or four years, then you might feel a little bit safer than if they've been running it for one year. Is Lambay a profitable company right now? And if not, how long will it take you guys to get to the point where you're profitable? Yeah, so no, no we're not we're not profitable at the moment, and we, we haven't been to date. We've been lending for you know two and three quarter years. Um, would expect it to probably be another 15 months or so. So middle of 2018 is when we expect break even. We're, we're in a very – our business model is a little bit different to other in terms of we're lending on residential mortgages. Uh, these are very quite long-term assets. Mm -hmm. So we make a lot more money over the duration of the loan than the sort of upfront product fees, which we personally think is good for investors. We're kind of aligned uh, in terms of our, our revenue is – is, is not sort of based on a one-off um, and, and also therefore it's you know the, the, the margins are quite slim so ours is a scale business where actually more of our revenue comes from assets under management if you can think of it in that way mm -hmm. rather than sort of lending fees if that makes sense so and it obviously takes time for us to build those uh, those assets yeah absolutely so you're projecting sometime 2018 would be the time that Lambay would become profitable yeah, we, we, we expect it to be somewhere around about the middle. Uh, and, you know, we expect net to be, to be profitable for the year of 2018 uh, on a month by month basis. We're expecting that somewhere in the middle, but, you know, exactly where at the moment we don't know. So, in the meantime of not actually being profitable yet, I, is Lambay venture capital funded? Um, we haven't taken um, venture, venture, pure venture capital, we've taken um, funding from strategic partners. So companies like so Zupla is a shareholder in our business, mm -hmm. um, and, and they've invested in us. Um, we have some sort of high net worth angels and some uh, private investment vehicles uh, that invested, and, a, and another a couple of other corporates have invested in us. So today we haven't taken sort of uh, you know that sort of typical kind of VC money. Yeah. Um, today. So, but you're well funded in respect to while you're while you're operating at a loss, you have that cushion to be yeah. able to keep funded. Exactly, yeah. John, so with this talk about Brexit and what's happened, 
uh, much unknown comes along with that. How do you see Brexit as, as affecting peer-to-peer lenders in the future? Yeah, yeah, and, and you're right. I mean, certainly, you know, we we you know we haven't left obviously the EU yet, uh, and we haven't given notice to leave. Although you know that that's expected to happen next week, uh, and then it's just sort of probably at least a year until we know what what Brexit looks like. Um, so, and obviously, people thought that there'd be an impact straight away, and during the referendum campaign, there was expectation of you know a downturn or property price crash or whatever and that hasn't happened obviously at all uh some, the last summer was definitely a, you know impacted in terms of lending volumes not just in peer-to-peer but across across the board um so you know actually the, uh, there's been minimal impact so far um but you know and, and i always think peer-to-peer lending is not really an asset class as such i mean lending on property and mortgages is very different to development finance and consumer loans and, and, and business loans. And so different markets will be affected in a different way. We, we still see what we lend on as very resilient and we don't think it will have any material impact. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the UK, I think there are probably two. So from a, a lending point of view, we don't see a big, big change in terms of credit from a credit point of view. How do you see within the next 12 months as far as the interest rates on what you're offering lenders. Do you think that will change or will stay relatively stable? So, so I mean, you know, obviously, where, where there's where there's changes, where there has been an impact from Brexit, obviously, is in the UK, um, rates have fallen um, and they're expected to stay lower longer. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, we would expect that to to impact peer to peer as well if they start that. I mean, at the moment, you know, you know, peer to peer rates are in my view, for the risk that people are taking on, on the lower risk platforms are, you know, quite a long, quite, you know, quite a, quite a lot higher than, you know, the, the gap between what they get on, you know, no risk bank savings and low risk peer to peer, I think is quite large yep. in, in my mind. Um, so it depends on the broader rate environment, but relative to the rate, the, um, the, the alternatives, I, I would expect rates to slightly fall as, as more and more people get familiar with peer to peer and the ISA comes in. The one other thing I'd say, obviously, in terms of Brexit um, having potentially impact, and again, the answer is we don't know, is, you know, most UK peer-to-peers, and not all, are based in London. London is a very global city, a uh, high level of, um, you know, migrants, not just from the EU, but from around the world. Um, and so if that sort of immigration policy tightens up in terms of, you know, finding... Uh, and hiring developers and designers and other staff, you know, it may become more expensive. It may become harder. Um, so that that will have that could have an impact depending on what the the immigration policy post Brexit looks like. Do you do you foresee maybe in the next twelve months if you had a if you had a crystal ball, do you think that the lending rates for Lambay are going to be relatively similar to what they are now for investors? Yeah, for lenders. Yeah. Yeah. I'd probably say they're probably slightly below where they are if, if all stays the same. Um, so if, if UK interest rates stay where they are uh, and the expectation of UK interest rates stay where they are, um, I, I, I wouldn't see them rising. Uh, so I'd see them more, more, more chance of them falling than rising. LIBOR in the UK is still falling slightly, so mm-hmm. that's market rates. Um, now, there's two things that have happened for the, in the UK is A, one one people are expecting interest rates not to move until I think autumn 2018, so that's 18 months away, 
and they're currently quarter of a percent. So, you know, it's a long, you know, um, so is that lower longer? But then actually earlier this week, uh, the inflation numbers were slightly higher than people expected. So that could change expectations if, if that continues with, with rates maybe rising earlier. But, um, you know, there, there is definitely uncertainty in lots of the UK economy, but the European economy um, as well. But I think there's probably more chance of rates going down and up over the next 12 months. Peer-to-peer lenders, I always say, can be a little difficult to keep happy and investors because they have their eye on this return rate and they want to receive a certain amount. If you have these interest rates falling to a certain point, how do you keep the, the lenders and the investors happy to the point where the rates fall? You know, What if they fall to a point where they figure, well, the risk is not worth it anymore? At those rates, how do you keep these lenders happy? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a balancing act to match that supply and demand on both sides. I mean, one thing that's had a, obviously a, a, a made a difference in the UK is the P2P lending is now ISA eligible. Mm. And so for people that, you know, we're, we're fully authorized and so we've launched an ISA, a lot of the platforms aren't yet. And so straight away, those returns become tax-free. So, you know, they're... they're and there's a lot of money sitting in ISIS in the UK earning not a lot. So that that, that money moving across from cash ISIS into peer-to-peer ISIS or innovative finance ISIS, I think will have a material impact on the whole industry uh, in terms of actually, you know, that the, the people refer to a wall of money. I think that's probably exaggerating it, but it, that, that amount of money coming across into the sector is enough to kind of suppress interest rates. Mm-hmm. And so it is supply and demand and, and, and you know, from our perspective, we as a as a lender, and I, I mean as a, as a peer-to-peer lender, I from a borrower point of view, we, we are not re- we're not here to kind of make up the numbers. We're, we're in terms of from a buy-to-let perspective, you know, we want to be challenging the the challenger banks um, and, and and lending a meaningful amount of money, and to prime customers. Mm-hmm. So what we don't want to be doing is having just a high cost of funding. Um, so that actually we can only pick off the stuff that the banks don't want. We want to compete uh, with them on both service and price. And so hopefully, and it goes back to that point where they do, we have to educate our investors that actually, you know, to, to from a risk point of view, we, we want to be, you know, we, we need to be competitive with banks. Um, if they if they want to be funding loans that banks would do, um, which I think is in their interest rather than stuff that banks wouldn't do yeah. or higher value stuff. So it, it is made, and we've always had that because we're a, a lower yielding platform. I think we, in some ways, it's slightly easier for us to lower rates because our proposition is a lot more about security and low risk, uh, etc. Um, and and yeah, you know, and, and I don't think there'll be huge rate cuts going forward over, over time. But 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 I think it is a case where we've got to ensure that our borrower products are in line with where the market is. So, John, speaking of the ISA, the way that the ISA is set up on your first, so if you invest money, say for 2017, you can only put your IFISA money into one product, correct? Like you can't split your 15,000 pounds five different ways between five different companies for this upcoming year. That's correct. So as it stands today, uh, yeah, your your annual ISA limit, uh, which is based on the tax, UK tax year, which is April to March. So we're we're actually at the end of one kind of period, if that makes it almost now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you could you can only have one 
innovative, innovative finance ISA. You don't have to put it all into that. So, you, for example, of that 15,000 allowance this year and 20 next, you could put, for argument's sake, 5,000 into peer-to-peer lending on Lambe, 5,000 into a cash ISA with Barclays Bank, and 5,000 in a fund run by Fidelity or whoever. But what you can't do is put 5,000 into Lambe, 5,000 into Funding Circle, 5,000 into Zopa. Does that rule make it more challenging to get lenders to put money into an IFISA? I'm sure there's people that want to maybe take that full allocation into peer-to-peer lending, but they don't necessarily want to put the whole 15K into one peer-to-peer company. Has that made the uh, investment side of the ISA challenging? The, the, the short answer is we don't know, and because we, so we launched our ISA uh, mid-February, so it's been going five five weeks or so. Um, we've had quite a lot of we've had a minimum investment of five thousand, and we typically find that people either invest five thousand or they invest the full amount fifteen. So broadly speaking, there's there's very few people doing ten thousand there. There so either people are comfortable or they just want to get some exposure, and if people are doing the five thousand, that means either they're not using their full ISA allowance or Obviously, they're they're keeping the other ten thousand in stocks and shares or, or cash. Um, I think over time there will be aggregator sites that allow some mechanism to, for this to happen. But also, what, what you know, there are also a number of people that we who, who are transferring in ices, and actually that is as big a market for us as the fresh ices. So they've got all these previous years worth of ices, and they're you know, they're, they're deciding to move them from cash, which is paying half percent maybe to the uh, companies like or products like Lambe. Um, and on that, then they can split it up. So they can then turn around and say, actually, I've got 50,000 ISAs. I pick five peer-to-peer lenders and I put 10,000 in each. So people can diversify in that way. But as a one-off hit, you're right. So you, you, you've got to choose, you've got to decide whether you do the full amount into one on a PHP lender, or you just use part of the allowance. Yeah. What was the reason for the government creating that rule to where one year you can split it up from past years, but for for the future upcoming year, you can only put it into one place? I really don't know. I have no idea, I'm afraid. And I suspect it's something that will get looked at in terms of the of the you know current ISA money, whether you can split it into two or three um yeah two or three different peer-to-peer lenders but yeah i i don't really know the rationale behind it yeah t- typical politics nobody really quite understands why these things happen they just happen and we have to be okay with it how about the popularity of the um isa for lambe so far has it been a success would you say yeah it ha- has been a, a huge success actually uh, and again we haven't um we didn't quite know how how big it was going to be um we haven't marketed it so we've pretty much just you know it, it received some pr We've, we've obviously mentioned it to our current investors, um, but yeah, it has been. And, you know, we this is ISA season, obviously, because the tax year is end of March. So people are in the last two months of the year, February, March, are are using those allowances. And then, you know, obviously in April, those that are organized, you know, do at the beginning of the year. So you do have a sort of three or four month window when a high proportion of ISAs are done between February and, say, May. Um so, 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 yes, it is. You know, it's definitely a large part of our our funding, and, and we expect it to be, from a retail point of view, probably the majority of our retail uh, funding to come via the ISA mechanism. And, and in the UK, you know, for those that aren't familiar, 
there's probably 70 billion a year going into ISAs. Um, and at the moment, most of that's going into cash ISAs. So, you know, when you think about how big the peer-to-peer sector is, I know it's always dangerous to say small percentages of large numbers, but, you know, even if only 5% of that goes into peer-to-peer, um, that's quite a material change to the amount of money that's on peer-to-peer platforms in the UK right now. So growing up in the UK and having spent a lot of time over in the States, what I'm starting to understand is that uh, British people are inherently like to save money. They're, they seem a lot more saving orientated than the US. You know, over in the US, I think the statistics are that one in two people don't save anything at all for retirement. So that would play well into peer-to-peer companies receiving a lot of interest and in investments into the ISA, which is good for you as a company. Yeah, and also the government has, in the UK, the government has um, it's increased those ISA allowances. So uh, particularly the, the the sort of the, the government where George Osborne was uh, chancellor. So those thresholds, so next year they moved from 15,000 to 20,000. Uh, I think it was 15 the year before. The year before that was 11. So over a three or four year period, that ISA allowance has doubled. And also the tax relief on pension savings have slightly reduced in terms of how much you can put into them. So ISAs are being seen as kind of almost the, the main saving for retirement vehicle uh, or certainly alongside pensions. Um, so th- there's a bit of a structural yeah, a structural change going on as well, which you know, with the ISA being such a large part of the savings market. Yeah, it's amazing here um, in the US. So the maximum that you can can put into a personal IRA is 5,500 US dollars a year, which is what a third of what they allow in the UK. So it's amazing to me. It's such a big difference. Lenders who use Lambay, they log onto the account. Uh, seems very simple. Coming from the website development world, I know how challenging things you know the tech side of a business what you do can be is it a large financial expense for you as a company setting up a a tech system like that being able to work it the way it does um yeah it it is actually and certainly if if in terms of our uh you know our employees and there are 22 of 22 of us at the moment um and you know the the largest individual team is the tech team Mm-hmm. Um, if that make, if that makes sense, so it is quite a material um, expense, and and like you say, our our, our, our platform is very well, or sorry, our, our, you know, our tech platform is very well architected. The architecture is very strong. It's you know, it's it's modern. It's microservices, but it's still it, well, like you say, it's quite simple in, yeah. in terms of functionality today. But it's still a, there's a lot of work that's gone into it. Um, and when we launched, we launched and we used a sort of third party solution. Um, that was developed for us, but it wasn't developed in house. And we always knew it was something we wanted to develop. We'd let that we sort of that was very much the test, the testing sort of platform and infrastructure. And so we we effectively started building our own one again. It took us eighteen months uh, with a team of sort of at that point anywhere between four and six people working on it sort of around the clock. Um, and there's, yeah, there's still you know a lot of work to do and to develop it further and to add. Uh, functionality and features but yeah it is uh, like I say from the outside it looks simple and easy but it's there's a lot going on behind yeah I, hopefully now lenders will appreciate more you know what they do when they log in and it seems so simple what how much work goes into uh, putting something like that together uh, John what would you say is the the biggest single challenge that you face as a um, peer-to-peer lending company 
Yeah, I mean, well, to date, it's definitely been. I mean, we're. You, know, you asked if it was quite hard getting it started, and the answer was obviously definitely yes, getting traction. But but also, um, the but mortgages typically take sort of two to three months to complete, and obviously retail. So we're always trying to, from a purely retail point of view, you know that liquidity matching where you're trying to sort of ensure that you've got enough funding for all the mortgages you're committed to but at the same time you're not overfunded and people's money's just sitting around doing nothing and that matching is is uh, that's that's a challenging part of the business um you know actually as we as we take on institutional lenders it actually reduces or even removes that problem effectively because um there's there's kind of capital on tap if you if you run a shortfall if that makes sense uh, and you can lend more um so so i think that you know there are always challenges that come at different times of the business and and I think really over the next uh you know six twelve eighteen months, the key thing that we've got to do is is scale uh, and scale materially and we certainly have the the funding now to do that from 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 um, uh, institutional lenders but also uh, equity capital um, but you know the key thing there is not is then to educate both borrowers and lenders. Around that, from a borrower's perspective, it actually, as far as they're concerned, the sort of mortgage or loan they're getting from ours is identical to one they're getting at a bank, which is quicker and better. But fundamentally, the legal paperwork's the same. They don't, you know, there's nothing sort of for them to worry about. And likewise for for retail investors, just to really, um, you know, educate them on that 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 risk piece. And, and and I think you made some very good points about the, you know, it's not just the rate; it's kind of what's behind the business. You know what's behind the loan. Um, that you know seven isn't always seven percent isn't always better than four percent. John, you seem like a, a a person that has a good sense of humor, right? <laughs> yeah, I okay. guess so. All right. What do you call a, a ball that likes to sleep a lot? I have no idea. A bulldozer. <laughs> <laughs> like to throw a joke in there, you know, just to uh, yeah. <laughs> keep you laughing. Okay. Yesterday I was I was talking to my sister and in, in, uh, she lives in the New Forest in Dorset and we were talking about finances. She's heading towards that retirement age, trying to figure out what to do investment-wise. Um, she's been used to going towards a more traditional way of getting a financial advisor, the advisor putting into to some unit trusts, uh, stock portfolios and things like that, charging some substantial fees to do so. I'm very much into DIY investing. So I was talking to her about peer-to-peer lending. She's never put a, one single pound into peer-to-peer lending. And she said to me, well, first thing she said to me is she said, why do I look like a homeless guy because of this beard that I'm growing out? And I'm <laughs> trying not to look like a homeless guy. But the second thing she said is to me, it sounds like a very, very risky thing to do to put money into peer-to-peer lending. And so I'm trying to explain to her the the different risk elements and how risky I considered it to be. If you were to take an unbiased look at Lambay and put it on a risk of, of 1 to 10 on the risk scale, so 10 being the most risky, where would you see Lambay on that risk scale? So 10 being risky? 10 being the riskiest investment you could, within peer-to-peer, not within the total, you know, okay. like stocks and shares or banks, but just okay, within so peer-to-peer. It's not I mean, I, I would say, um, and, and I, I, I genuinely mean this, and obviously I lend on, 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 on Lambay, 
Um, you know, I would say one. Um, I, I think we're at the very low risk end. And you know, even in a, even if we went through a downturn, um, yes, there would be. You know, you'd expect there to be defaults and there'd be some losses on on, on some loans. But you, if you look at what's happened in buy to let in two thousand and eight, and even in previous crises, losses would be running at worst kind of well you can always make things a little bit worse but losses would be in the magnitude of half percent or one percent and so when you think about something that's giving you you know currently a return of somewhere between uh what 3.4 and 3.7 yes that would eat into your return but to get to the point where actually you're losing capital net you would need to be in quite a severe downturn. I mean, of course, it's not, these things are never impossible. Of course, they're not. <laughs> so, you know, you can always lose money. But actually, you know, the, 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 actually the, the possibility of losing money is very, very low in, in my mind. Okay. One of the other things beginners ask me, it's quite a difficult question to answer because everybody's situation is different. But I get asked a lot, what percent of my liquid net worth is a safe amount to put into peer-to-peer lending. Um, what advice do you have for people that, you know, out of 100% of their net worth, what advice do you have for them trying to figure out what what would be an okay amount? Yeah. So, so one thing I'd say, and I think this is a risk that people don't don't really talk about, uh, and and I view this risk on peer-to-peer lending, uh, and this, this includes Lambate, as greater than the credit risk, um, and so. Right now, we have a secondary market. I don't know, Lawrence, I am answering your question, but uh, okay. um, we, we, we have a secondary market. It's automated and it's very liquid. So if you put money onto Lambe and actually three days later, you think, actually, I need to get some of that out. We don't charge a fee for it. Uh, and you'll typically get it back within 48 hours. And I say typically, I mean, it would be very unusual not to get it back in 48 hours. And that's always been the way. And yes, occasionally around Christmas, it might be three days, four days. But broadly speaking, you you, you know, getting, getting it back comes within a week. If we hit a downturn, then I think that liquidity would get stressed. So I, I think that that, you know, be able to get access to it where suddenly actually inflows people get worried and inflows dry up and more people get nervous and they it, it's equivalent of a run on a bank if that makes sense and it's not a run because they're loaned but therefore the queue for people selling becomes greater than the queue for buying and so therefore you know it takes time and that is a, a, a you know a, a genuine risk and and so one thing i would say to people is don't just think about the credit risk and you should think about the credit risk can you lose money but you should view even though most peer-to-peer platforms uh, offer secondary market you've got to assume that you know in a downturn that that secondary market is either it dries up or you know it becomes not very liquid at all so going to your question in terms of how you allocate money i think a lot depends on you know how much access you you need to that money and when as opposed to necessarily just what you're looking for a turn so you i think thinking i can always get my money out of peer-to-peer i think is wrong Whichever whichever uh, peer-to-peer lender you're doing it with, and if you're diversifying, because in a downturn it will affect them all. So I think you always want to have a decent, um, you know, a decent chunk, depending on your circumstances, that is sitting in genuine either instant access or you have certainty that you know if you are, if you if 30 day notice or whatever it might be, and that, and that would uh, the only thing that can really give you that is a bank uh, and bank deposits. Um, 
you know, without losing money, if, if that makes sense. So yeah, I think you've always got to have that chance. And, and then I think, you know, within peer-to-peer -peer lending, you know, it's, it's a good way of generating some income um, in a relatively low-risk sort of fashion, if that makes sense. Um, but and, and then, you know, I think long-term, on a 30-year view in terms of pensions, you know, if you're putting it into uh, stock markets, generally speaking, you should outperform most asset classes on a 30-year view if you consider dividends or so. So it's in my mind, it always sits between those two. You know, you, you, it's not as volatile, um, obviously, as the stock market, but it's not as liquid as cash. And so, you know, in, in my mind, it does slightly depend on when people are thinking of, you know, buying that house or whatever they're saving up for or, you know, the chance that they might need quick access because of, something uh, some event that, that is likely to happen or retirement um but you know based on that uh, you know it, it should be uh and i think it also depends on your your where you are in your life i mean i think a lot of the lenders on peer platforms are people that are retired and i think they do use it as a an income generator as in they're, they're looking for the income as opposed to they probably don't need access to the capital or if that makes sense because they, they've got enough regular income to, to assume so i know i haven't really asked your question but but i think you know people should be looking at all those three different pots if that makes sense yeah and yeah thinking, well, gee, and, I, and i think liquidity and it's it's, it's more how long do you want to tie your money up for for different pots as opposed to necessary the risk of different pots if that makes sense yeah well, you know, John, it's funny that you mentioned those things because the questions that I usually ask from people that are not involved in pit to pit lending but want to become is not so much about, well, the liquidity side of things, but if everything collapses, what can I afford to lose and be still okay with? So that it's almost like they're looking at the worst case scenarios more than the actual liquidity side of things. And it depends what you mean by because... I think, you know, business in the UK, they have to have sort of uh, backup plans that if, if the, the business itself goes out, that, you know, uh, lenders still get their money and their assets are managed. And, and, and that's another thing. I mean, if, if those businesses do go th uh, wrong, then actually the liquidity dries up in totality. But actually, it doesn't necessarily mean your loans go bad. You know, they'll still get serviced. You've got to have backup services and, and that sort of thing. Um, and you know, on on asset backed, you're never going to lose 100. percent You know, it's you know, there's always some value in in, in the asset. Um, but yeah, I, I think liquidity liquidity risk um, is something that I think is slightly mis misunderstood and 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 maybe not um, not appreciated. And I, I think people do appreciate it. I mean, if you look at in the UK, obviously, money on banks. If you look at the rates on say one year fixed rate bonds. And five-year fixed-rate bonds, you know, there is definitely a premium for putting it into five-year, but most money goes into one year. And I think a lot of people, certainly in banking products, want their they they almost lump all their money so they can have it instant access. And you know, I, I know someone who's retired who has sort of two hundred fifty thousand sitting in various different investments, and probably two hundred thousand of it is sitting so that she can get access to it. Um, and in my mind, that's that that you know, it's very unlikely that she's ever going to suddenly need two hundred thousand pounds. Yeah, uh, suddenly. So I, I think people generally have probably got too much sitting in instant access 
cash cash accounts that makes sense there because they're generally paying they're generally free money for the banks uh, and I think an approach where you think well actually I might need access to 25% of it then I might need another 25% within a year and, and and thinking of the kind of financial planning in that way which generally people don't yeah yeah the big problem too now with the stock market the way it is that a lot of people are nervous to put their money into that um, thinking well what's going to happen with the financial market so uh, but then it's, you know, people have been saying that for three or four years, oh, the markets are going to come down, they're going to crash soon, and it just hasn't happened. So um, my experience is a lot of people are sitting in cash sort of waiting for that collapse to, to happen, and then they figure, oh, we're just going to get back in. Problem is they don't know when that time is to get back in, when's the good point, when's the low point. Yeah, and I, and I, and I know people who have done exactly in the UK property market the last 15 years thinking, oh, it's the wrong time to buy a house, prices are too expensive. Yeah. And they sat on the sides and, <laughs> hey, you know, they can't afford to buy a house anymore. John, you had mentioned before that you actually invested in peer-to-peer. Do you con- continue to invest in companies outside of Lambay as far as peer-to-peer or is your focus strictly on Lambay now? It is pretty much Lambay. I, I, um, I've got some – I haven't uh, – so, so I've got still got some old loans uh, that I haven't sold uh, – but I'm not putting fresh cash into them on, on Zopa and Funding Circle. Um, you know, I'm just they're, they're kind of in runoff effectively. Uh, I think some of them might there might be an auto, a relatively small amount of money on auto reinvest um, on those. But yeah, I'm, I'm not uh, I'm not investing in many other platforms at the moment. What do you think that it's going to take for peer-to-peer lending and crowdfunding to be seen as a viable form of investing for the general public who still view it as a, a very risky place to put their money i think part of it is the i i think the isa does does make some difference there um i think there are two things to it i think the the ifa market the independent financial advisor market right now that they are not i don't think any of them are uh, advising on peer-to-peer and are, are using it as a viable product i think margin because they can't make fees from it um <laughs> but you know at some point as the industry grows they'll that they will do and particularly when there are these aggregator sites and they can then advise that that sort of thing um and i i think these things naturally as they they build up their own steam so as all these uh lenders become bigger and people become more familiar with them it's that building trust thing that happens i think naturally over time i think you know probably it is a little bit of a downturn i, I think you know that every peer-to-peer lender is asked well that's all very well. What happens when, for us, property prices fall, or you know, we hit a recession, or whatever it might be? But you know, we hit some form of downturn, and you know, we say, well, we think this, and we believe this, and if you look at buy-to-let stats, what happens in a downturn? And we've we've used we've done some modelling, and you know, we've done stress tests, which I think is all, all good things to do, um, but we can't turn around and say we've lived through them. And our lending team has because they work for other lenders, so we have a a sense but I, I think bizarrely I think you know getting through a platform uh, going through a cycle where most platforms survive um, a as businesses but also their loans perform well and far better than expected and people don't lose money like you say it might in, eat into returns a little bit um, I think it, it is something that it will allow people to turn around and say well actually we've been operating for 10 years we've been through the cycle and actually people always made money even in the worst year yeah, so that that's something that Zopa has used quite successfully in their advertising that they've been through the downturn, 
Um, I think that's created a, a somewhat confidence in, in the lenders to be able to put that money in there knowing that that has happened. Yeah, I think that's fair, yeah. And, and finally, John, what does the future hold for Lambay? Do you have anything you know that you could share regarding the future, whether you're going to have any additional products or whether things will continue to, to motor on as they are now? In the short term, you know, we, we'll... You know, we, we're buy-to-let focus. I think there'll be some additional products within sort of buy-to-let, both for, for borrowers uh, and, and investors potentially, but they're still fundamentally investing in, in the same same asset class. Um, and for us, it really is just to really grow in a um, quickly, but at the same time in a safe fashion in terms of from a credit point of view. Uh, and that me and, and to broaden our um, sort of funding so that we you know we, we can do more sort of lending with, within the mainstream buy to let piece so it, it is really just growth um, add in some ancillary kind of areas still within buy to let in terms of products and, and we'd expect to do that um, um, you know later later this sorry quarter two um, or sort of for the summer so yeah it's, it's more of the same really but um, to, to, we've built over 2016 we've built a lot of foundations to for scale um, and now we have funding in place to scale. So, you know, this 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 year and 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 uh, beginning of next is when we actually try and achieve scale. And and like we said earlier, to achieve that kind of break even or profitability for us, I think again, proving viable. Again, it will reassure investors where actually, you know, the the business is on a far more solid background if you're not relying on raising more equity. So th- that again is a, is a is a key point for us as well. So if a, if a lender is, is listening to this now and sort of on the fence about whether they should put some money into Lambay or not, what's your pitch to them? Um, our pitch is, you know, we, we uh, you know, most people who work in the business lend on this, lend on Lambay. Uh, they, they back it. Uh, they believe in it. Um, you know, peer-to-peer lending is, like you say, it, it, from the outside it looks quite complicated, but it is quite straightforward. Um, we lend on the same sort of loans that banks do. Um, and you know they're all very our average loan to value is around about 65% um, and you know I'd say just try it out I mean we have a minimum investment of £100 um, you know we haven't had one loan that's defaulted so not defaulted we haven't had one loan that's even had a late payment to date and that's in two years and three quarters obviously at some point at some point I'm not going to be able to say that but you know as of now that's that's the case um, so you know, in my mind, it is low risk. Um, it doesn't it's not, doesn't mean it's no risk, um, but you know, I, I'd say try it out, and, and you know, obviously try Lambert out, but try try others out too. I mean, you know, some people some people are looking for slightly higher returns, some people are looking for more stability and simpler, and you know, try a few, try try peer to peer lending out and try, try a few. Do you have anything else that you uh, want to mention, or that we might have missed? One thing I would say, and again, I think it's a it's a common misconception, not a common misconception, but it goes back to what I was saying about what what happens in a downturn. That people always say to us, "What happens when property prices fall?" And that's often the first question when when people phone up or investors or journalists. And actually, that's not what drives buy to let. Buy to let drives if landlords are getting rents paid, then regardless of what happens to the property value, they're going to pay their mortgage. If that makes sense. So yep. the key thing is, is you know, the the that that cash flow is really what protects borrowers, and then in the background you've got a charge on a house that is is still is a is an additional and very powerful 
um, extra form of security. So, um, you know, I, I would bear that in mind for, for any, any uh, investors uh, that are thinking. And, and if they're in the UK, um, you know, they have, uh, what, about two weeks before uh, this year's ISA allowances are over. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing too about the UK property market, it's always been a relatively stable investment. It's not like the the US where they've had a 50% downturn. I think some of the worst drops even during the 2008-9 uh, crisis was what, 10, 10, 12, 15% drop. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it, so I think, I think the, yeah, it's about 17, 18, I think the, in the worst areas. Uh, and in, in certainly in London and Southeast, I think it bounced back within 18 months yeah. in terms of back to where it was, um, you know, prior to the crisis. So, you know, we, we view it as very stable um, market. The UK is the population is growing, not just for migration, but demographics. Um, the number of households are increasing. Um, so no, we, we think it's a, it's a it's a good place to invest. Well, John, thank you very much for taking the time again. Uh, really great to learn about the things that Lambay are doing and, and the people behind it and certainly gives me a lot of confidence putting my own money into your company and to all the listeners out there hope you enjoyed it if you have any comments or questions please feel free to drop us a line don't forget to sign up for Lambay I'll leave a link in the description below and don't forget also to check out financialthing.com where we have all the latest reviews on the peer-to-peer companies that I personally invest my own money into Hopefully you get a lot of good information out of that. And we appreciate your time again, John. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot, Lawrence. It's been fun.